Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Our Father, we come before your presence humbly, recognizing that you are God the Creator, the Almighty, Abba. We come in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We come, O God, Adonai, to give you the praise and give you the glory and give you thanks. We have so much to thank you, God, for, and we're so grateful that we can gather here collectively, corporately as a church and join and blend our voices in worship and in praise and in our prayers. We ascribe all glory and honor to you and witness of your goodness to us, your love and your mercy to us, and your provision and protection. We're so grateful. Even now as we continue to worship you, Lord, minister to our hearts, minister to our own soul, spirit, body, minister, O God, to loved ones even as we bring them before you. And help us, O God, even as we hear your word. Spirit of God, take charge and bring us into an understanding of your precious word. Touch your precious people, Lord. Those that are here present and those that are watching. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would reach out and touch according to each need and to the glory of God the Father in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this privilege. For we ask our Father to you, in Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. What a joy, what a glorious day it is that we can come and gather and worship and praise God once again. We ascribe glory and praise and thanks to God for all the things He has done for us and everyday blessing towards us. Once again, welcome those that are here. What a great joy it is to come in and to be able to fellowship and to join in the worship of God. And those that are watching, no matter where, no matter what time it is, uh, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. And thank you for being with us in our worship in this Sunday morning. I want to actually go into uh, the last book of the Bible because that seems to be a very important uh, book When Moses wrote the five books called the Pentateuch, the last book, the fifth book is called the Deuteronomy. And this actually is a reminder, sum and substance of everything he had wrote before, just in case people would not forget, but they would remember. That's what Deuteronomy simply means. The book of Revelation is so important, particularly because there in chapter one and verse three, blessed are those that read that here and those that keep the word. And this is a special blessing for and to all people. Many a times we can be lost in the so many semantic and words and uh, particularly languages that are used and many interpretations. But I wanted to understand, despite that, the book of Revelation is very powerful because it is the last book of the Bible. There is a special blessing and also very meaningful, particularly for those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to particularly mention as we read from the last book of the last uh, chapter of the Bible, you find in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, 
proceeding out of the throne of God. And then in verse 2, he talks about the tree of life. I will be speaking later on regarding the river that flows from the throne room of God and the Lamb and compare it with uh, Ephesians, uh, uh, I'm sorry, with uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1, the same river, but this time flowing from the temple. But here it is flowing in the New Testament, the last book, it is flowing from the presence of God, from the throne room of God. But I want to just mention this. We'll be talking about this river and the tree of life back to garden. It all started in the Garden of Eden where man had a joyous pleasure of communion, intimacy with the Creator, with the Lord God. And they were able to see and look at Him and they were not uh, burned up. But you know, sin came in and then the visage of man changed. In, uh, in fact, the glory of God departed from man, the covering, and he is not able to see. And so no one has seen God except the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes to reveal the Father. Except for what he says in the Spirit and the Word, we do not have any much more simply because our mind is not wired to receive nor comprehend the fullness of all that God is. But what we find in this passage, it says the throne room from the throne of God and the Lamb. So in this message, before we go into the tree or even the river that flows, I want to talk importantly the very presence from where it's issued. The very subject is so important, the throne room of God and the Lamb of God. So I want to first talk about the throne of God and then the throne of land. So understanding that, we will go into what would be the river that flows from the throne, and then we will talk about what started in Eden that we lost and now regained because of the land that was slain, and we recognize how important it is that there are so many figures, so many names, so many adjectives, so much that you can talk about the Lord Jesus with many, many titles, and yet in the book of Revelation, unlike any other book, you find it accentuates on this word, lamb. Not simply lamb, lamb that was slain, that is full of meaning. But coming to chapter 22 and verse 1, let's talk about first the throne of God. It says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. What I want us to realize is this is so important, particularly when you read uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2 and uh, in the couple of uh, earlier verses, God, the, the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed and given a word to every one of the churches to John. But then in chapter 4, come up either and uh, he sees a door opened and there was, he was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one that sat on the throne. No description way beyond description, way beyond any sort of human words. And all the descriptions you can find, I talked about it in vague terms, but so colorful, so picturesque, talking rather more about what you can compare, uh, certainly about those precious stones and so forth, um, such kaleidoscopic colors and such varied designs and everything that talks about the rainbow, but yet never really touching the one that sits on the throne. 
because he's so pure, because he's so holy, and I want you to understand, there will come a day when, and again because of the slain, the lamb that was slain, and when he comes, the Bible says, we shall behold him, we shall see him, and we shall be like him. What we find, the wonderful words is, uh, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we find that this incorruption, this corruption will put on incorruption, and this mort mortal shall put on immortality, and we shall behold him. In a twinkling of an eye, we shall be with him. What a great grand reunion it will be, which First Thessalonians 4 tells us, first the dead in Christ shall rise, then we which arrive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. What amazing is when we are transformed and when we are literally taken up this new, what would be the pristine glory of God covering us, we'll be able to see him as he is. Until then, everything is translucent, everything is opaque, everything is basically as with through a glass, but one day we shall see him face to face. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the Lamb of God. So when I go into this majestic study of understanding the throne of God, I want us to understand this is a very powerful concept, a great thought, a great, uh, in fact, uh, meaningful words that are mentioned here in the last book of the, of the Bible. And so we find this, the one that sits on the throne is so important, and he's the Lord God Almighty. And all the way in the book of Genesis, we find that he is described as one in a sense of multiple at yet once God, where you find Elohim in multiplicity, but you find this God comes in a generic word, God you can name in so many languages, so many words, and yet he introduces himself to Moses, and later on Abraham, much earlier Abraham gets a little concept of it, Yehovah Jireh, but yet to Moses he said, I am that I am, Yahweh, the unpronounceable word of the living God, the name that is so powerful, but we call him Father in terms of relationship, and this is so unique because, again, because of the slain uh, lamb that was slain. What I want us to understand is the one on the throne is so important. Many of us, and I for one, grew up in a time and an era when we understood what was the most fundamental issues and fundamental theology of our time. Uh, in fact, it had to so much to do with the sovereignty of God. That seems to have been a lost word today. It had so much to do with the authority of God. It so much seems to be lost in our day. It had so much to be with the uniqueness of God and on the one that the, our Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 6 and 33, seek first, so above all, number one God. And he begins to bring us to a tremendous understanding of the one unseen God and gives us not simply who he is, but the amazing aspect of it attributes above and beyond everything is love and grace and mercy, which is all becomes to the Lord Jesus because all of the guarded is visibly in the God, in, in Christ Jesus, manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone could bring us to the power and the presence of the Father into a relations, intimate relationship with the Father. I want you to understand, there was a time in our own history in this nation that's the sovereignty of God, the person and the attributes of God, and everything about him was so unique and so important. That 
was the main dish. That was the center forward of everything in our theology. In other words, that was the end. But today, we're not talking about the end. We're talking means more than anything else. We're not talking so much today about the major, but we're minoring on major and majoring on minors. What sadly is, we're looking today at things that are unimportant, but we have taken the concept of uh, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians to be careful, and uh, rather than the Corinthians uh, bringing the word to the world, the church in Corinth became Corinthized, or in other words, become like the world. Our books today have got more to do, not about the sovereignty of God, not about the greatness of God, not about the power of God, but all of us about being number one, all of us being the center forward, and everything else is that everything revolves around us. Even God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit had a beck and call like a magic genie that comes to minister to us rather than we minister to him. In the book of Revelation, we find right in the center forward is he's on the throne and he's sovereign and he's full of authority. Alas, in these days, we have lost the concept of the Holy One. We are so much talking about means, no matter how good it is, we talk more about how to be healed, how to receive riches, how to get a car and how to be blessed and how to be delivered. Everything centers on polishing us, buttering us, and trying to feel that everything about us is God is there to minister to us. We've forgotten that we are here to minister to God. The most important thing is God. And to understand that He's sovereign, to understand He's full of authority, to understand He is above all, and He is supreme, and He is primary, and He is the most important, that He deserves the supreme priority in our lives. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to give us that connection. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He becomes the life the one that would give, give us and to be able to bridge this gap that sin has caused. What I want you to understand is when you turn to the throne of God in the same chapter in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, you find the uniqueness of the Father. And it simply says, all of heaven and earth worship him. There's an angelic chorus. There's 24 elders. There are four living beasts. And what you find is the outcome of their cry and their ultimate worship. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. Everything in this world Everything in all of creation which we see and which we cannot see were created, are created, were created for His pleasure. God is not created for our pleasure. We are created for His pleasure. He doesn't ring around us saying, what can I do for you, Master? We are the ones that should be about Him, around Him, and minister to Him. He is number one, not two, not three, not four. He is number one, he's supreme, and he's the most important person in the entire creation. That, in a sum and substance, is what the throne of God is. The one that sits 
is being worshipped. The one that sits is the one in power. And so when we get an understanding of the throne and of the one that sits on it, the Lord God Almighty, we find this great magnificent person that created all things. And you find in him issues life and everything that pertains to light and life, it emanates from him. And we need to understand that he perfects everything and he put everything in order for his pleasure. And underline the word for his pleasure. And we must ask ourselves this question, is my life lived for my pleasure, for the pleasure of my culture, for the pleasure of my nation, or for the pleasure of my race, or is it for his pleasure? Ultimately, when you and I will stand before the throne, will come the full dawn of the fact, oh my God, I live for my pleasure. Did I ever live for the pleasure of God? And this is so important because in Him we find our pleasure, in Him we find life, in Him we find everything that pertains to life here and for all eternity. And when time shall end, we shall be merged into eternity that will never, never cease. So all things are and were created for His pleasure. So when you go into chapter 7, you're going to find again the understanding of this is so magnificent because the last book of the Bible gives you emphasis particularly upon the throne and the one that sits talking about the authority, the supremacy, the fullness of all in all, that he is in complete control, that he is king and master and lord. And now when you read in chapter 7, verse 9, again, this is what takes place. What you find in the last book of the Bible, intermittent with all of the things that are eschatological, that happens and will happen in the future, but interposed in all of this is the solid, awesome, pure worship to the Father and to the Lamb of God. So in chapter 7, verse 9, after this, I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and the Lamb. So interposed between all of these happenings when the whales are basically opened in all of the things that takes place, interposed in the midst of all that is happening, and in the background is the battle and the war, and the enemy trying his level best because he knows his time is up, and he wants to do everything to upsturge and upset things, but no, God is still on the throne, and he's being worshipped. Give the Lord a clap offering. And so we find in this passage, it says, They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and all the angels round about the throne, and about the elders and 
the 24 elders and the four beasts fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. So what you find is worship is not only in the beginning but goes all the way in the last page of the last book of the Bible. Worship is an underlining factor when you think about the throne and the one that sits on the throne. Worship is pristine glory. Worship is what would be the great weight that is due to him. And you find no matter what takes place in the skirmishes and all the things happening, God is worshipped. Ultimate sovereign authority, full in control. He is God. No one else. And what you find is, what do they say? They fall on their faces, worshiping God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and might be unto our God forever and forever. Amen. What you find is a powerful word and image that you can see it happening in heaven. And you and I, because of the lamb that was slain, will be part of the throngs of that multitude in merging and mingling our praises with theirs and experiencing and singing out of experience the salvation. And we know what it means because we were saved by the lamb that was slain for us. When you go to chapter 11, and you can read that in verse 16 and verse 17, these powerful words again of worship. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God. I'm talking about the last book of the Bible. What would be the most important, what you call principle? What can we take out of the Bible? You can find it always in the last book is something that not only reiterated, but something that is emphasized. And so in this passage, you find they fall upon their faces and they worship God. In verse 17, saying, give thanks. We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken Thou hast taken unto you the great power thou hast reigned. So there's a reigning of his supremacy. When you go into chapter 14, and when you read particularly verse 7, here again is these angels, and they say, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, for the hour of his judgment is come, Worship him that made heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of water. When you turn again to the next chapter, chapter 15, and you can hear the song of Moses and the servant, the Lamb of God, and you can read that in chapter, chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. This is the ultimate, and this is the song of the Lamb that was slain. <clears throat> Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee? O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. It's very powerful. It's dynamic. It is so important that we understand 
what these profound words mean. They're so unique, they're so powerful. And again, when you turn into these passages, you're going to find the praise and the worship is uh, pristine, is glorious, is powerful, it's pure. And again, in chapter 19, you're going to see in verse 4 and verse 5, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Amen. And the voice out of the throne saying, Praise our God, praise our God, all you his servants and you that fear him, both small and great. It is so powerful, it is so unique. This is what the underlying theme of the last book of the Bible tells us. Underlying all of these, what's happening is this one statement, God is sovereign, he's worthy to be praised, he's worthy to be adored, because he's in command, that he is in full authority, that he is who he is, and all the worship is not what I get out of him, but who he is, he's holy, He's divine, he's wonderful, he's loving, he's gracious, and his mercy endureth forever. What you find in chapter 20, and when you read verse 11, you find again this powerful word, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled. The stark reality is, when people stand before the throne of God, the reality hits home. My God, whether it be 50 years, 60 years, 100 years, what did I do? Did I live for my pleasure? Or was it for a reason I was put here, a reason why I was created by the great creator, created to give thanks in my service and in my worship to the Lord God Almighty? A white throne judgment for those who do not know the Lord would have to basically stand there shaking, shivering, fleeing. Where can they fly out to? Everything they did is pictured there. They are without words. And the stark reality, give me one more chance. Unfortunately, there's only one life. And this life which we live, the dash between the day of our birth and the day of our death, it is the dash that matters. What did we do in this earth? We were created by the Creator. We were placed here for a purpose. And it says, for thy pleasure, they are and they were created. Did you think about God? Did you think that He created you? Did you think that it was for your pleasure or it was for his pleasure? And so we come to the realization, the throne of the one that sits on it or the one that sits on it, on that throne is important. The most important, magnificent person in all of universe, in all of creation. And one day we will behold him and stand with joy or with fear. To hear the word, come enter into, your, into my rest, or depart from me, you evil workers. 
It is this one that we have to stand for. And the book of Revelation is telling us before the end what we need to know, what we need to understand. This is how it all began. In the beginning, God, Elohim, and then goes on to talk about this unique God and talks about he's on the throne. And one day, every one of us, after that, a day of judgment, we stand before the white throne. For those who do not know the Lord, it is but a white throne judgment. It is judgment. So when you turn to chapter 22, this is how this chapter begins, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding. This river of life, the Spirit of God. This river of life can be the Word of God. This river of life can be the blood that washes our sin. This river of life is the life that flows, the life of Christ in our life. But it's also unique because when we are in this garden, more pristine than the Garden of Eden, almost the same replica of the tree of life and the river flowing and the street and so forth, reminiscent of what we lost in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And now the way it closes is different from what began in chapter, ended in chapter 3. We have regained because of the one that is called the lamb that was slain. Let me talk to you about the lamb that was slain. So when you come to chapter 22 and verse 1, it says the throne of God and the lamb. So you find there's a throne of God and every time you see and hear about the throne of God, quickly the lamb. Now I want you to understand the only way that we can stand before the throne of God in our worship, in our service, in anything we do, whether it be in New Jerusalem or whether it be in terms of the creation as priests and kings, it's only because of the lamb that was slain. I want you to understand the unique way in which John the Beloved describes by the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has so much titles, super titles, super, super titles, add upon one upon the other, adjectives upon another adjectives, verb upon verb, and yet, in the book of Revelation, he's called the lamb that was slain. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because our admittance to heaven is because of the lamb that was slain. The fact that we can serve the almighty God is because of the lamb that was slain. The fact our worship is accepted is because of the lamb that was slain. Everything before we go to heaven on this earth is because of the name of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So when you look at this chapter 22, 
before the throne of God and the Lamb. I want you to understand the book of Revelation is marvelous, it's, it's amazing, and there's a whole lot of words that confuse us, but the things that are clear is very clear. It talks about God, the Creator, it talks about the throne, it talks about Father who is intimate because of Jesus Christ, it talks about our Savior as the Lamb that was slain. So let's see how does it all begin when you turn to the very first chapter of the book of Revelation. Here it says in chapter 1 of Revelation and verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. Hold it. So this book is not about how blessed we are, how much cars we can get, how much money we can get, how much gold we can get, how much glory we can get. It is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Somehow we've lost concept of once there was a time when the preaching was fully about the sovereignty, about the Lordship of Jesus. Today it's an instant pizza. Today is an instant food, quickie. Let me out, give me a message, pump me, butter me, shower me. Let me see how much I can be blessed. Ah, suck it to me, pastor. Yeah, I am blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Yesterday I was a king, today I'm the pope. Tomorrow I'll be the king of kings. Keep telling me who I am. And unfortunately, the, the preachers of today is giving so much to man word because of what he can get and forgetting all and totally, completely relinquishing the fact of the greatness of the one that we have to proclaim and the one that we should worship. The message is so much about glory and about gold. In fact, that seems to be the message of Pentecostal people particularly. They want to dress themselves like clowns. I can understand the old church doing it. That's their way. Pentecostal began in the backside of the desert under some little place in incandescent in bulbs. And today they are dressed like popes and archbishops, colorful, complete with gold. Where did this come from? My friends, not only about glory, it's about gold. And sadly, it's so much, it's not the gold we give the Lord, it's the gold that we can get for ourselves. It's the mansion, it's the plane, it's the lifestyle. It's so unfortunate that people buy into this nonsense even in Pentecostalism and charismatic movement. I want you to understand so many of our preaching is just pavement. You got it, pavement. You know the story of a woman who loves the Lord, desires so much of God, but she has a vainness. She constantly prayed to the Lord, Lord, please, 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 let me bring everything that I value to heaven. She fasted, she prayed, and finally God said, you know what? Get a back suitcase and come when you come home. 
So just one suitcase. She packed it up with gold. When she went to heaven, there's a story, unreal. Peter was at the pearly gate. And he said, what is that bag? She said, I've got special permission from God that I can carry this bag. And she opened up and showed it to Peter. She's, and Peter said, you bring all this to heaven? This is just the pavement in heaven. Gold is the pavement. It's the least of the things in heaven. Why don't you think of something better than pavement? Did you think about the throne room of God? Did you think about the one that sits on the throne? So all along, we have the pavement mentality. So this is the revelation of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at the word revelation, it simply means uncovering that which was covered. It simply means unveiling that which was veiled. This is no more veiled, this is no more covered. It was there in the Old Testament in so many ways. But now the revelation that the Father is revealing about who this Lamb is and why he's honoring the Son. He simply calls him the Lamb that was slain. So when you look at the unveiling of what would be the full disclosure of Jesus Christ, or the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave, it is simply what is unfolding right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when man fell. It was a lamb that was slain for the coating for the man and the woman. It was the blood that was shed for their sins. And all through you find the experience of the lamb that becomes so unique in Exodus chapter 12 and that becomes year after year and day after day something so unique in the life of the people of Israel. But that Passover lamb is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says in 1 John, John 1.29. I want us to realize the uniqueness of this person. It is so marvelous when you realize the uncovering, the unveiling, the revelation. Because in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul, Paul is saying that God sent him to reveal his son uncover his son in me so that I might preach him. He's the center. I don't have time to talk about gold and how you can get blessed with money and all of this. They are means. But the end is about the person of God. When you turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 3, you find that God revealed Jesus Christ, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 tells us this is the mystery that was hid and in chapter 1 of Colossians and verse 27 what is the mystery? Christ in me, the hope of glory. That is the reason when we go to heaven and say that was the reason, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You see, the whole earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sun. And only until we are fully formed can we say, and this is what the whole earth is groaning, 
For you can read that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. The mystery and when you come to verse 19 for the manifestation of the sons of God. And how? When we shall see him. When we shall know him. We will realize the changing of ourselves into his image. That's the greatness of the power of God working in us through one that is the word became flesh and is the lamb that was slain. I want to realize in just a moment I'll go into what would be unveiling of his kingship literally for a thousand years called the millennium. And he would be the king of kings and the lord of lords in heaven. What do you mean? In earth? Fine. But we are going higher level into heaven that he'd not be king, but king of kings and lord, lord of lords. So when you read these passages, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 6, that he is set like Lord, the holy hill of Zion, the father is saying. In Psalm chapter 46, 45 and verse, five, verse 6, simply says, thy scepter is the kingdom of right scepter. That is what Judah was told. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Jacob prophesied in chapter 49 and 49 and of the book of Genesis. You're going to find the amazing aspect of these promises unfolding throughout the Old Testament, which is the Jewish scriptures. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 talks about the fivefold names of God. He is the mighty God, He is the everlasting Father, but towards the end, He is the Prince of Peace. This is the Old Testament talking about the Son that is a child that is born and a son that is given. When you look at Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, you are talking about Bethlehem, out of whom there will be a ruler that shall come from Israel from old into everlasting. Everlasting. Not just this earthly historical, but all the way for everlasting. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 tells us that Jesus proclaimed it. Behold, your king cometh. Riding in a lowly donkey? This is the uniqueness of the lamb that was slain. I want you to realize the marvelous way in which even the greatest of all the angel of messenger angel called Gabriel, one of those top angels called the archangels like uh, even uh, like Michael, the warring angel, the Lord of hosts, the king of uh, the general. You find in this unique way in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, speaking to Mary, and he says, he shall be great. That came to pass. He shall be called the son of the highest, comes to pass. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, yet to pass. Several scriptures talk about his birth, talk about his ministry, talk about his death, talk about his resurrection. But there are several scriptures yet to be fulfilled when he will literally sit on the throne of his father David. And you're looking at the king of kings. He will be king and ultimately the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that is a title in heaven. But let's just, just let me remind you the uniqueness of this precious person. 
And I want you to understand, when you read Revelation chapter 4, we read that in verse 11, to the Father, thou art worthy, O Lord, that Yahweh, Adonai, to receive glory and honor. In the Greek, it is theo or krio. And it says to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. Now, I want you to understand, the Father now takes the limelight, and guess what? He shines it upon the one that is called the Lamb that was slain. So everything about chapter 5, whether they be archangels or cherubims or cherubims, or whether they be the cherubims, or whether they be different rankings of the angelic being or divines, or whether they be the redeemed saints, whether in heaven or under, they all come in chime, and this is the word they say, worthy. Excuse me, that's blasphemy. It's the last book of the Bible. I want you to understand the honor in which he is held, the same as the Father. We don't have time, but how this passage begins is marvelous. But let's just go to chapter 5 of the book of Revelation and verse 4. There was a scroll in the hands of the one that sits upon the throne, and there was no one worthy. And so John wept because no man was worthy. No man is worthy. Not the greatest religious people of the great founders of religion, or philosophers, or kings, or the good men, or bad men, or greatest men. No one was worthy. And he weeps. In verse 5, one of the elders said unto him, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the, tri the root of David has prevailed to open, has prevailed, victorious to open the scroll, and to lose the seven seals thereof. There is one that is worthy in heaven. We just heard about God Almighty being worthy. And the elder says, there is one that is worthy. And this is astounding. He is the line of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the morning star. He is all that and more. But now, John is looking to see the lion come in triumphant glory. Arr, that's the roar of the lion. And they know the lion is here. He's the king. Genesis chapter 49 and 9, prophesying about this from Judah, about the scepter that jo that. Jacob talks about of this tribe of Judah. But hold on, in verse 6 of chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, suddenly, who does he see? Behold, lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood, stood a lamb as it had been slain. There's the lion, presto, he is a lamb. It's a paradox of a contrast between two different animals, a symbolical that you find. He is both the lion and the lamb. I can understand the triumphant victory by a lion. He can pounce, he can defeat his foes. But a lamb that is slain, 
That's a big contrast. Here's a lion, strong. A lion that is powerful. A lion, the king of all the animals. And here is a sheep, docile, gentle, meek, humble, gentle, vulnerable. How can you face the wrath of the enemy if you are the lamb? But that is the lesson. It is as a lamb that he finds the victory for us. He could have come as lion. Twelve legions could have just sent the entire universe into oblivion just at the snap of his finger. But he chose to be humiliated. He chose to come and to be smitten. He chose come to be stricken. He chose to be a lamb, shared and beaten and killed. And as a lamb, slain gives us the victory. There are so many names that we can talk about Jesus. But far above and beyond, the Holy Spirit is bringing the one that is the word. All things were made of him, without him was nothing made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended not. That's the power of the one that is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't come as a lion. He wasn't born in the palaces of Caesar or Pilate or Herod. He was born in a place they was in the house for him, a home. And yet you find it is as a lamb that is slain, he stands. And as a lamb that is seated on the throne. Revelation chapter 3, 21. He has his throne. I want you to realize the significance of this. The contrast of the two. The lamb and the lion. And it is as a lamb that is slain that is recorded in the book of Revelation, lest we forget. That every time we think about heaven, every time we pray about heaven, every time we yearn about heaven, think of the Lamb that was slain. Every time you are in the eternity of the bliss of the paradise in heaven, think it is not you. Not your mama, nor your papa, nor your pastor, nor anybody else. It is the lamb that was slain. It is because of the lamb that was slain that you and I find an entrance. Think that every time you go before God in prayer, think every time we seek for people and touch people, it's not by our name, it's not by our connection, it's not even by our title. It is simply because of the lamb that was slain. Think, Father, that in heaven we will stand before the throne. It's not because of us. It's not because of somebody else. It's the lamb that was slain. I want you to realize the importance of this lamb that was slain. So now, when you turn to verse 9 and 10, 11 and 12, Revelation chapter 5. And when you read this passage, and they sung a new song. 
saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. Verse 10. Thou hast made us unto God, unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign. Excuse me? I thought when we die, we'll be sitting and playing some harp and a violin or a guitar and up in some clouds. No, sir. We shall reign on this earth for a thousand years. We shall be priest under the high priest and king under the king of kings. But again, let's read verse 11. Goes on to say, I beheld and I heard the voices of many angels round about the throne. And the beast and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You cannot number. And lo, what are they saying? Verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy. Didn't we read that in chapter 4 and verse 11? The father says, shine the limelight on the lamb that was slain. Excuse me, isn't that blasphemy? It is the proper thing to do. In heaven, it so delights the Father to say, Lo, behold, the one that I send. From out from him comes the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we find with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He had it all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made. What do you find the uniqueness of this lamp? It is the Father's delight. The uniqueness of this is so powerful. I don't know how to explain it. It is so beyond our imagination. When man fell, it was not, oh my God, it just so happened. God, omnipotent, omniscience, always at plan. He knew what man would do. He knew what we would do. And yet, mission rescue. And it's always through the lamb that is slain. So when you look at this, let me take you to the background. Paul writes about this. When you turn to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. He begins by talking about Jesus Christ. He says, who being, listen to what it says, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. No, he was equal with God. Then verse 7, six, seven says, but made himself of no reputation. Why? For you for me and took upon him the form of a servant no not a ruler a servant and was made in the likeness of man now I want you to see in verse 8 and being found in fashion as a man listen to this not on a horse not as a lion but humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
You don't find the word atonement. You don't find the word justification. You don't find the word substitution. You don't find the cross in the book of Revelation. No. Do you know why? All of what Jesus Christ did is boiled down into two words or three words. Lamb that was slain. Lamb slain. That encompasses everything we know in theology as the substitutionary work of atonement on the cross by Jesus. Lamb that was slain. Now I want to see this, what the Father God has done. He humbled himself, even though equal with God, and he says in verse 9. Now look at this very carefully. Wherefore, God hath highly, highly exalted him. That's what you find in chapter 5. Highly exalted him and given him a name that is about every name. What name? Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. This in verse 11 simply is that every tongue should confess, should confess Jesus is Lord. This word Lord in Greek is called Creo. In other words, it is called Theo. In other words, the equivalent of that in the Old Testament is Yahweh. In other words, God. So this is important that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, and, every, and Jesus is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. This is so important that Jesus said, he who rejects me, rejects the Father. He who hates me, hates the Father. I'm going to be very clear. You cannot say, I love God, and at the same time, you cannot hate Jesus. I don't care what you want to profess, the only way you can say, I love God, is by loving Jesus. Amen. You may not know this now, but when you stand before God in heaven, the full weight of this will come. But the Lord Jesus Christ said about heaven, and we'll be talking about that in just a moment. But what you find is a marvelous way that you find in the scripture. When you turn to Revelation chapter 7, we read that a moment ago. And here you find in Revelation chapter 7 this awesome word. And it says in verse 10, this is, I beheld in verse 9, great multitude which no man could number. This is nations and tongues and kindreds and all people. They are standing there before the Lamb and clothed. Look at what it says, standing before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. This is in the book of Revelation. And saying, and all angels round about the throne, about the elders and four beasts, fell before the throne on their face and worshipped God saying blessing and honor and wisdom and glory and power and might be for him forever and ever. Amen. And then in verse 14, I said, Sir, 
in verse 13, he says, who are these that are covered with robes? What does that mean? In verse 14, the elder said, sir, thou knowest. He said unto me, these are they which have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Just the blood of the Lamb. You talk substitutionary death, you talk atonement, you talk the word of everything to do with the cross and the experience of the cross, the lamb that was slain by the blood of the lamb. In verse 17, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them. We're talking about that in heaven and shall lead them into living fountains of God, and God shall wipe away every tears. I want you to realize when you turn to chapter 19, it's very powerful. The words become even more powerful, particularly when you read verse 7. And what you find here, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And this is at a time just before the tribulation, just before the great battle. You find, I'm sorry, this is uh, just, after, uh, just before the millennium. And here in verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called another name. And the title, Faithful and True, in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And when you read verse 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is so powerful when you read this. Now when you turn to chapter 20, this is where the final battle. Chapter 7 and verse 9 of Revelation. And when thousand years are expired, this is the reign of thousand years. We're talking that millennium is over. And just for a spell, Satan is loose before he's consigned permanently to the pit of hell. It says here, Satan shall be loosed and shall go out to deceive many. And then goes on to say, what happens in chapter 21 what i want you to understand is something happens after the thousand years we find the completion of what jesus did if you turn with me to chapter 15 and verse 24 it sort of puts the people into oh my god that's the end of jesus christ in heaven no 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 look at what it says and i'm going to just explain in verse 24 it says, then come at the end. He's done everything. He's quelled the battle. He's cons basically consigned Satan to hell permanently. And it says here in verse 24, then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he has put all rule and all authority and power. And in verse 28 it says, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, that is unto Jesus, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him and put all things under him that God may be all in all. What is important we need to understand is the role of Jesus is never 
diminished. In fact, it is even extended greater. You find John, by the Spirit of God, referring even after the millennium as one that sits on the throne, as one that rules as King of kings and Lord of lords. What you find in Revelation 21 and verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, and God out of heaven prepared a bride, as a bride for a husband. And now you come to the role of what would be a powerful wedding and supper. What is so powerful as you go on to this passage is in verse 22. We have no time here. And it says in verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty had the Lamb of the temple in it. That is different from Ezekiel, that you needed the Lamb, you needed the temple. And then verse 23, And the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon to shine, for the glory of God which light in it, and the Lamb is the light of it. What you find is the powerful work of the Lord Jesus Christ here as the Lamb that was slain in heaven that is glorified as one that basically makes us kings and priests. If you turn to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 look at what the Holy Spirit what the Lord says He has made us kings and priests under God and His Father to Him be glory power and dominion that is the Lord Jesus Christ this is not here but all the way through eternity under the King of Kings and under the Lord of Lords. When you turn to chapter 5 and verse 10 of the book of Revelation, look what it says. Again, it relates to us. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. What is so powerful, I want you to understand, is in the book of Revelation, he's called many things in and off, root of David. He's called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and uh, everything is there. But ever so often, 28 plus times or 30 plus times, the Lamb that was slain. So just lest we forget, in heaven... The only fact that we are there is because of the Lamb. The only reason that we are kings and priests under Him to serve God and to worship God is because of the Lamb that was slain. Everything in relationship to the Lamb. But let me just tell you the crust of it. Chapter 5 and verse 12, worthy, worthy, worthy. And that is to the Lamb. The ultimate sacrifice and praise. This is the Father saying that is he's worthy that is he is all that i have i give him everything that i get you give to him and so jesus is saying about heaven in chapter 14 john chapter 14 and verse 1 he said let not your hearts be troubled now look at what he says you believe in god I think everybody, only fools, say there's no God. There are still some fools left around. But the vast majority know, no, and when they're in a foxhole, they will shout, oh God, help me. You believe in God, but he says, believe also in me. Why? In verse 2, he's talking about heaven. In my Father's house, 
There are many mansions, a poor word, it's more than a mansion, it's really like a massive place for named God has made. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a real place, a heavenly place, a beautiful place for you. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. He's in the Father's house. We will be in the Father's house. But everything has to do with a name. He has many titles. He has many names. But in the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God, Lamb that was slain, Revelation 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's something about names. When you turn to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, they name Abraham, father of one, was changed into Abraham, father of nation. It came to be. When you turn to Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, Jacob, the corn artist, the thief, or whatever you want to call this man, was changed to Israel, a prince with God, and that he becomes. When you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 30, asked for, Samuel simply means, and I cried out and said, I asked for, that was Samuel's name. Elijah stood upon Mount Carmel and named Elijah, Eli, God, Jah, Yahweh. Yahweh is God. That's how he becomes. But I want to realize a very important thing is when you turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, listen to what it says, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus. What is Jesus? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves, and that's what his name is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me close with a few scriptures, and I want you to understand how important it is. This land that was slain, there is no other name that is more worthy, for Father has glorified him. He was with the Father, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. But look at what the name does. In the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 6, a man that was begging, a man whose life was destroyed, Peter reaches out and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What? Believe in the name of Jesus. Saves. When you turn to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we may be saved. No other name. This is one sure name. When you turn to chapter 4 and verse 30, it's simply they cried out, in the name of your holy child, and the whole place was shaken. God answered the prayer. I want to tell you this very bluntly. You can go to heaven, um, you can go to the throne of grace and cry out and say, God, help me, help me, help me. There's one that makes the difference. Ask in my name so that you would receive it. Do you know who it is? Not simply say Jesus, Jesus. It's not a mantra like praise, 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 praise. No, no. Do you know what you're saying? If you can understand the name of Jesus, that is the power.
In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And you can find that in chapter 9 and verse 27. You can find that in Acts chapter 18 and 16 and verse 18. All this to say, the most important, that there is a name about every name. And this lamb that we know in this earth, we have that name, the name of Jesus. Just where you are, no matter what your situation is. There's a lamb that was slain. He paid the price for you. You don't have to be cursed. There's a lamb that is slain. You don't have to go to hell. God made way for Jesus Christ to pay the price. You can be born again just where you are, calling unto God in the name of Jesus. You are here and you are burdened with your old situation. You are here burdened because of your son, your daughter, your family, or someone in desperate need. I want you to stand right now and speak that name and speak that to God about that situation. It could be a situation, it could be somebody, it could be something. But I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Just the people who need that. Father, I reach out to precious people today. For we believe in the name of Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. That worthy is the Lamb. There is power in that name. The revelation of Jesus Christ, whom God gave us. And I speak the name of Jesus unto each one here in the situation they are in. Meet the need, touch lives, heal people. That Father, the glory and the honor will rebound unto you that sits on the throne. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of loving you, knowing you, and worshiping you. In the mighty name of Jesus, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.